0: Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And this is our companion episode for Blind Spots, episode 12 of season 6 of Supergirl, written by Ozzy Tesfai, a.k.a. Kelly Olson, a.k.a. Guardian, as of officially in this episode. This episode was co-written with Jay Holtham. Who also previously wrote for Pitch, which is another show that's one of my favorites,
1: even though it got canceled after the first season. Hmm. And so I was really excited to see how this episode would turn out.
0: Yeah. So for our episode of Supergirl's Attic, the <laughs> topic that we chose is visibility with regard to like invisibility and hypervisibility, as Vivi will explain. And so far this season, we've discussed how Kelly's empathy and the way that she sees others. You know, in the way that they are visible to her is a superpower. And in particular with Joey and Orlando, who have struggled with larger systems and people within exploiting and ignoring them and the way that they are not seen by their systems. So for this week, we wanted to take a look at visibility in the ways that Kelly is herself not seen in that same empathetic way that she sees others mm. in this episode. And the toll that being the lone witness is taking on her and and what it means for her to then become visible. But first, we should discuss generally what it means to be visible, what we mean by that.
1: Mm, we started talking about this back in 610 in Still I Rise about this issue of people, particularly black people, being either seen or not seen. And I shared a personal example of an experience with that where a student I was mentoring explicitly said, you know, you ask me to do things, you say thank you, which Mm -hmm. is another way of saying you see me as a person, as opposed to my colleague who just assumed that they had a right of authority over this child and just commanded their respect by being there. And this challenge regarding visibility also made me think of a comment that actors will say a lot when they are in historical films. Mm -hmm. And I distinctly remember learning this about Titanic As one of my formative media (laughs) behind the scenes experiences, that actors will talk about how difficult it is when they're in a scene that's set in a historical setting to not say thank you, to stifle the impulse to see the servers Mm. in a setting where there's an intersection of social class and frequently then, of course, also race. And the whole point there that we as modern people have to stifle our impulse to see people is that... Servants are meant to be invisible, at least Mm -hmm. according to etiquette, sarcastically, of the time. And this is so bound up in the legacy of slavery, at least in the United States, Mm -hmm. in large part because our images that we see, especially if we are white in most mainstream media, excluding things that have come out in the past decade or so when things really have begun to change. Mm -hmm. A lot of the exposure that we may have is to, you know, historical fiction, things set in the past when Black characters are often relegated to the roles of slaves or servants where they are meant to be seen but not seen. And this is a bigger reflection of the historical ways that whiteness in the United States has made Black people invisible. So you start with slavery as the invisible hand, to borrow the economic term, Mm -hmm. that moves capitalism because people, even all the way back to the founding of the country in the 18th century, knew that slavery was morally wrong. But there were a number of people who wouldn't give it up because that meant risking their own financial harm. Right. And then once slavery is made illegal in the United States, segregation replaces it. Mm -hmm. The idea of separate but equal. So literally putting the liberated black folks out of sight and out of mind and forcing them to stay invisible. Mm -hmm. And then as we move into the 20th century even before the civil rights movement really takes off in the 1960s, you start seeing with the rise of mass media an immediate urge to stifle any portrayals of humanity for people who are considered a threat to the dominant white way of life. And this Mm -hmm. starts as early as the 1930s. And we've talked about this before with, you know, the Hayes Code and things like that. It goes all the way on into the 80s. So if you consider that the censorship of mass media, so portrayals of women and minorities, things that aren't capitalism uh, (laughs) in books, in television, radio and film is designed to exacerbate the empathy gap that exists where Mm. people don't fully recognize particularly black folks as human and it intentionally also stokes racist fears through coded language and coded image and using those in various kind of propaganda campaigns whether it's literal political campaigns as we've seen throughout the past decade Or more subtly through the use of symbols in television and film and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. And, you know, throughout history, every step of the way, Black people have been fighting to be seen. And that is something that we see represented in an important way in the season with, like, Orlando and Joey. And Orlando specifically saying in Still I Rise, see us.
1: To put the context into why then Kelly has such an intense emotional response in this episode, Mm -hmm. Orlando's not asking for much. (laughs) He's literally just asking to be seen as a person. Mm -hmm. with feelings like yeah and that recognize that things that affect his life matter to people like that's Uh, it that's so basic yeah
0: (laughs) Yeah. the basic you know that that he matters yeah and so taking this to kelly as a character being a human person as well she's coming into the world with not only like racial trauma but her own other kinds of trauma specifically around in an interesting way invisibility Mm -hmm. yeah like She says in season four, I was eight and it was the worst day of my life. My dad was dead and my mom was so distraught that my aunts had to hold her up. I was scared that she was going to die, too. And that part is interesting in terms of her learning to fear uncontrolled emotions and learning to avoid them. Mm, Yeah. And she says, James swore to me that he would be by my side, that everything was going to be okay, and that we were going to face it together. He disappeared before the service, which... It hits pretty hard What do you think about this episode where the other yeah. characters are like, yeah, we're going to we're going to help. And then they're just not there in the way that she needs them to be. And so in this situation in her childhood, Kelly felt very alone and was dealing with something huge and traumatic. And her mother wasn't in a place to comfort her. And James was just gone. And she finds out later that James was kept from her by bullies and held in a coffin but that's not you know better (laughs) (laughs) speaking of other people's trauma yeah (laughs) yeah and in terms of like trauma around invisibility it it becomes like it's not just her it's her brother it's people who look like her being harmed by those with more power this extension of this core belief basically and you know the question becomes in that situation when she was eight who's taking a minute to check on her grief and to see her Mm. and, and to say that she matters And then we have, as they're growing up, James always putting himself in danger. She says to Joey, like he would climb up on a roof and jump off it. My brother is the bravest person I know and I still worry about him. And so she feels like she has to look out for him despite being the little sister, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we get hints of that throughout their relationship as we see it in season four. And James says to her, the only times that you've come to visit me are when I was in the hospital, because I was weak and you could tell me what to do, right? So clearly she was trying to tell him (laughs) what to do, probably related to the reasons that he was in the hospital. Maybe so. Maybe so. And then Kelly's fiance dies in combat, and she can't grieve publicly because of the don't ask, don't tell policy.
1: Hmm. Speaking of being invisible
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah which fittingly the end of don't ask don't tell was almost exactly 10 years ago from last week and that speaks to of course kelly as this intersectional character Mm. yeah and so kelly feels like she has to be strong because of all these things and she gets this message that she has to look out for others because you know sometimes they leave and they die and she also has to keep her emotions under control and then this is the part that i think hurts the most in this episode she fears that she's alone in doing that, in both like being strong and looking out for others and and keeping her emotions under control. She doesn't have that sort of emotional labor that we'll talk about reciprocated. And so with Kelly, we see the ways that racial trauma compounds. And racial trauma, like all trauma, is not something that exists in like a vacuum separate from all one's other traits and and beliefs. It, Mm. It combines with them and combines with other flavors of trauma and positive and negative events. And it shapes the way a person sees the world and themselves.
1: Yeah. And the other piece with trauma is that it's not linear. Like, you don't just get Mm -hmm. over it and then it goes away forever.
0: Yeah. As we see with Kelly, who's somebody with great coping skills and and who's worked through a lot of that. Mm -hmm. But for Kelly, in terms of visibility, the invisibility and hypervisibility that she experiences as a Black woman goes hand in hand with the trauma around her loved ones that she's experienced. And she forms particular beliefs and ways of navigating the world based on that.
1: Yeah, so Kelly in this episode is not being seen and particularly not by the people closest to her, while simultaneously she's hyper-aware of why she's not being seen. And related to that, I pulled a quote by Zora Neale Hurston from a book she published in 1928 that still feels very relevant, (laughs) Mm -hmm. in which she wrote... I feel most colored when I am thrown against a sharp white background. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of where the tension is in this episode. And so like when Kelly's in the Heights, there's at least people there who are mirroring Kelly's emotions. There's other people Mm -hmm. who feel frustrated. There's other people who feel angry. There's other people who feel powerless. But when she goes to appeal to the people who she should feel most comfortable relying on to help her or just to like let her unburden herself, they don't see any of that at all. And she understands exactly why. And they don't even realize it at first. So she rightly points out that it's because she is different from them in a way that they are not seeing because she is a black woman in America. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. And at this point, it's really further supported by the conspicuous absence of other women of color in the episode, which I don't know if that was necessarily an intentional choice. It felt like it might have been. Mm. But there was one like nice tiny detail when Kelly was in the hospital trying to get a straight answer. And the only person who answered her was the one female nurse who was black. Mm -hmm. But it also felt a little bit like a metatextual commentary on the kryptonite of Supergirl, the television (laughs) show, which has been its female casting. Yeah. That was a nice kind of subtextual comment upon the blind spots within the point of view
0: of the show. Yeah. And so, you know, for Kelly as a character, after several episodes of feeling like she doesn't have a place on the team, in some other flavors of self-doubt, she then comes into this episode and says, I'm looking at people suffer, people that look like me, and everyone here is just too busy. And, you know, it makes her feel something about herself and her place in the team Mm. And it speaks to this idea of the invisibility of black pain. And we see it in this episode with the healthcare. The hospital close to where Joe and Orlando were going to live is, as we see, under resourced and struggling, which is obviously a COVID-19 analogy. Mm. Yeah. But combined with like the way that lower quality hospitals within majority black residential areas in reality results in typically a higher death rate. On top of the fact that there tends to be worse quality of healthcare for the black population within any given hospital.
1: Mm, yeah. And the other piece there was the very intentional decision to make the illness that affected them a respiratory thing. Right. Because you have Joey specifically emphasizing that he can't breathe, which is then a reference to the Black Lives Matter movement that rose into the public consciousness after the death of Eric Garner mm-hmm. in 2014. Right.
0: And then also just so metaphorically relevant to the characters in this episode of like heavy sighs and, and just mm. yeah, <laughs> feeling like you can't breathe in that other way through the weight. Mm. And Orlando says about Joey, I keep telling the doctors he's getting worse, but no one's listening. They keep saying he should be fine. And we talked about this concept in our episode for 609 when Joey was being hurt with the anti-power cuffs mm. and Kelly said he's in pain and the foster care woman said, no, he's fine. Well, he's like writhing on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we talked about the myth of higher pain tolerance in Black people within healthcare and beliefs permeate around Black people having thicker skin or like less sensitive nerve endings, stronger immune systems, blood coagulates quickly. Which were beliefs that were invented in the 19th century to justify the inhumane treatment of slaves. Yes, among others. Yeah. In, in healthcare, Black people receive less treatment, especially for pain, as a result.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah. It's also part of the reason that there is
1: such a mistrust of the medical community mm-hmm. because even when people do go, their pain is not acknowledged or it's written off or it's mistreated. Yeah.
0: And so we have that sort of literal myth about Black people's pain in a physical sense. But then there's also the emotional ailment where Kelly grapples with the perception of being strong. Mm. And so then her pain in the ways that she should be allowed to be, you know, weak, in quotes, <laughs> goes unseen. And in this episode, Kelly is overwhelmed in trying to help Orlando and Joey, who are in the hospital like her brother always is, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So she's dealing with something that she's familiar with in not a good way. Mm, yeah. And... She's alone in it. And she's trying to also deal with the systemic weight of racial disparities. Yeah. And then in the midst of all of this, she's just looking
1: for some support, like any support. Yeah. And her loved ones, they're not really attentive to her feelings, at least in any beneficial way. Like Alex is distracted when Kelly calls her. So she does like the minimum as far as giving help and, and being comforting and then mm-hmm. hangs up before Kelly can even like respond and say goodbye and Kara as well as someone who has a lot of power both as Supergirl and as a reporter mm-hmm. just kind of brushes past Kelly when she's clearly asking for additional help and for recognition that this situation is a problem in the immediate present mm-hmm. and also in a long-term way which is a piece you know every superhero show kind of ignores <laughs> uh, and then in the conversation between Kelly and Kara later Cara Ara starts kind of steering it toward how she feels and that she's feeling guilty about missing things earlier in the episode. Yeah.
0: And, you know, Kelly's coming from a place where she already isn't eager to share her, like, deepest emotions she says and when she's talking to james's answering machine on the phone i'm okay i'm okay after she says all this concerning stuff <laughs> where she's like obviously not you know yeah and then when diggle comes to talk to her she's like i'm fine i've overcome a lot in my life which then you know speaking of <laughs> mm. kelly because of her caretaking role in her family and then probably also the trauma around her mother not being able to take care of her because she was overcome with emotion, Kelly keeps her emotions in check. So Kelly already has this baggage with regard to her family and feeling like she has to play this strong role. But then she also walks into the world and the world expects her to be a certain way, which is, you know, that strong black woman stereotype that comes with the understanding that you don't really need support because you're already strong and you basically exist to support others. <laughs> Again, tying back to that cultural idea of servitude. Yeah. And we've seen how Kelly manages her emotions. She keeps a cool head with James in the hospital in her very first episode. Mm, Yeah. And she mentions like her time in the military and also that James has been in the hospital before. So there's a familiarity to the situation. And in season four, when Kelly is very much feeling the trauma of the loss of her fiancé through witnessing Alex almost die, Mm. keeps... Her feelings to herself. And, you know, we see her like break down in the bathroom instead, like alone. Yeah. She's such an interesting character in terms of emotion versus like being rational because she makes this very rational choice of, of like, I'm not going to try to stop Alex from doing her job. And it's a compassionate choice. And she instead <laughs> determines that they must break up, <laughs> which is that piece of like, sometimes you think you're being very reasonable, but there's something deeper that needs addressing and, you know, that it's helpful to talk to people. And so we see Kelly feeling like she has to make these hard and rational choices on her own. And we also see it in an interesting way through her conversation with Alex in season four when she's trying to give her advice about Haley. She says about a situation where she was trying to convince someone to do the right thing and to help someone. I yelled and screamed about doing the right thing and got nowhere, but my sergeant convinced the CEO that it would be safer for his unit not to risk the life of the man's wife and child. He knew what the CEO cared about most, his men.
1: Also, in hindsight, there is a sneaky intersectional piece to this where Hmm. Kelly says she tried to do all the advocacy on her own from her point of view as a Black woman, and what ended up working was having a man tell her commanding officer what needed to be done by repeating everything she said. So
0: mm-hmm. we love systems. We love that, But also this piece where he's appealing to what he cares about, which is his own, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. and it sort of speaks to this loneliness that Kelly feels around caring about others and being the person to care about others and then others caring about her and her perspective and seeing her. And then broadly, it speaks to the loneliness of being a black woman fighting for racial justice. Mm. Kelly says in this episode people are going to die and it's like no one cares it's like their lives don't matter which in all of these ways is a deep cut for Kelly Mm. and in terms of the ways that Kelly sees others we see her doing emotional labor and we also see the ways that it goes unseen by others in this episode she has to hold the weight of the problem on her own you know tying back to that feeling of loneliness at her father's funeral and in this episode has to constantly try to flag the severity of the problem to her non black friends and coworkers and then also as the only US born black American within this group of superheroes. Mm. So we see her do emotional labor when she explains to Kara why she had blind spots and we see her kind of manage Kara's guilt, which is definitely a commentary on the oft expressed issue around the Black Lives Matter movement and the way that non-Black people will like wake up to the problems that Black Americans face and then go to their Black friends and sometimes any old (laughs) Black American to, you know, use them as a resource of education without like maybe caring about their feelings on the matter and, you know, Mm. seeing if they're actually down to do that. Which happened a lot last year. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And this piece of emotional labor is especially relevant for Kelly as a psychologist and Mm. as someone who we see is generally predisposed to empathy and helping others.
1: Yeah. And we saw pretty early on in getting to know Kelly back in episode 503, that even though Kelly has a very clear understanding of what boundaries are and why they are important to maintain, mm-hmm. she can sometimes be too giving of herself in ways that open her up to harm, as we saw in season 5 mm-hmm.
0: And I think the show has done a decent job of subverting this strong black woman or role of a black woman as the caregiver, while also recognizing Kelly as a character who would grapple with it within the text. Mm, yeah. Where she's throughout the seasons trying to manage those boundaries and especially as we see in this episode. They also have done
1: a good job of this with
0: Jean mm. throughout the course of the series
1: instead of making him like just the the wise just the dad yeah. dad figure.
0: <laughs> like he actually has stuff for himself self as well. Yeah. So for Kelly in this episode and that emotional labor, no one but Diggle is doing that for Kelly. And she sort of thinks that she's supposed to figure it all out herself in terms of her own feelings. She says, I just don't know how to express what I'm feeling. And I'm a psychologist. You know, there's that sort of I'm supposed to know this. (laughs) Which is then why it's like a nice little detail at the end that she goes to do journaling. Yeah, that is nice. And so we see Kelly seek out someone who she knows will see her in the ways that she's not being seen by the other characters who are not Black. Specifically with James, she calls him and says, I just needed to vent to someone that I knew would get it. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And that was a nice choice and a nice reminder of James's legacy as a character on the show. Mm Mm-hmm. James really struggled throughout his whole run as Guardian with this visibility and invisibility paradox as well. In season two, he starts out by hiding his identity and who he is, specifically from Kara, because he knows that she'll be upset with him for taking too much risk as a human stepping Mm -hmm. into the superhero realm. But it has the side effect of then him being hidden from everyone else because he's got the mask that's got the full face the lead lining on the
0: suit so she can't see him through it. Mm -hmm. And it's a shame because knowing what James values about being a superhero, like the things that he likes about Superman and things that he has said about Supergirl have very much to do with the symbolism and like Mm -hmm. what, they mean emotionally to people.
1: Yeah. And so that comes to a head in season three, where he has these experiences with helping both aliens and humans who are Black, and it makes him want to reveal who he is and that he is Guardian. Because it's so tied to his values and what he has always wanted Guardian to represent. Mm-hmm. But he's also confronting the fact that there are people who are afraid of Guardian, mm-hmm. even without knowing who he is. And then him being mindful of all these stereotypes about black men and them being big and threatening and scary. Yeah. And he goes back and forth and has a few wonderful conversations with Kara about identity and, and how to be your authentic self in that way. And he ultimately chooses to humanize Guardian to make it Mm -hmm. clear who that hero is and create the connection and the empathy among people who look up to him Mm -hmm. but then speaking of (laughs) this paradox of visibility and invisibility where you can have both at the same time Mm -hmm. james going public with his identity as guardian then in season four has this unfortunate side effect of him being used as a poster boy for bigoted causes that he a hundred percent does not support Mm -hmm. and then he can't control that so he's being seen (laughs) But it's in a way that plays into a lot of those white supremacist stereotypes about black masculinity, that he is, you know, this big, tough guy who's taking down the aliens who are, you know, a tier lower than mm, him. Yeah. That part of season four did a nice job of explaining how. The white supremacy system in the United States works. You always Mm -hmm. find the person on the bottom and then you give everybody else a little bit of social power by stepping on the people at the bottom. So James is confronting the fact that he is being seen in a way he sure doesn't (laughs) want to be. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, his own voice is being completely drowned out and erased even though he's the head of an entire media company, mm-hmm. because these other bigoted voices are just so loud that they're pushing him out mm-hmm. while simultaneously using him as a prop. Yeah. So then after that whole experience and then the thing with, you know, having superpowers and then losing superpowers and James actually saying he's kind of glad that he did. Uh, (laughs) um, In season five, we see him decide to walk away from all of these environments where he's felt constrained Mm -hmm. by those systems and particularly as a black man within these white dominated systems And he chooses instead to use the social and political influence that he's built from being Guardian, from being the head of CatCo, to have an impact on the community where he grew up after realizing that no one is seeing their suffering and that he had been part of that and that he now wants to do more to help. And he has the resources and the skills and the ability to do so. Yeah.
0: So then it is fitting in this episode when Kelly calls him to, you know, find somebody who sees her. And who is obviously experienced stepping into the guardian role and the weight. But then we see Diggle come to fill that role. And he comes in. He sees Kelly. And Kelly says, the situation in the Heights is a mess. And he says, honestly, he, being James, sounded more worried about you, about how you're taking it all. James is very wise. <laughs> they have that beat where... Kelly is talking about a military solution and, and Diggle says sometimes on the battlefield you do what you have to do to survive you just keep going push yourself so hard you miss the warning signs that maybe something deeper is going on which is fitting in terms of like systemic issues but he's speaking to here Kelly's mental state and, and the fact that she has to keep pushing forward without addressing the ways that this is impacting her mm-hmm. and Diggle says something interesting, which is, I'm not questioning your strength, but I do want you to know I'm here for you. So it's an (laughs) an interesting contrast with what Alex says earlier in the episode. I'm so sorry, but you're amazing. You can do anything. And then the conversation's like over. So Alex there is saying, Kelly, you're amazing. You're like, you know, a superhero. You can handle it. And Diggle is doing the more useful thing of being like, You're strong, but I'm here for you.
1: (laughs) Which ties back nicely to the whole idea of stronger together, actually, Mm -hmm. in that, you know, there's nothing
0: wrong with asking for help and giving help. Yes. And so Diggle isn't specifically like instrumental in terms of problem solving skills or resources or like fighting. I mean, they do fight and (laughs) and stuff like that. But the biggest piece is the way that he's just there for Kelly Mm -hmm. and helps her work through her feelings and we see Kelly then in this episode make herself be seen mm, yeah and and say like no I shouldn't be alone <laughs> it's not right that I have to be strong all the time always and That Maybe I shouldn't have to push my feelings down. She lets herself feel the way she feels and lets the super friends know that this is not something that she should have to handle on her own, Mm. which is definitely growth for her, given what we talked about so far in this episode, her history with feeling invisible and feeling like that's the way it's supposed to be. Mm. Yeah. And so then we see her choose when to do emotional labor carefully and and set boundaries, like in that conversation with Supergirl, where Kara is fixated on the ways that she messed up as opposed to, you know, Mm. maybe connecting to Kelly emotionally. And Kelly chooses to do a bit of emotional labor of explaining things to Supergirl because Supergirl has power and, and is an influence. And that is something that Ozzy said. But she has limits. She doesn't comfort Supergirl When she Mm. says that she's guilty and say, no, it's okay. Yeah. She says that's not useful (laughs) and and directs her in a way that helps Supergirl help her. And then with Alex, in terms of boundaries, she just says no. (laughs) Yeah. She doesn't want to unpack all of her feelings right now just because Alex doesn't understand the full scope of her human experience. And she does that because Alex is her girlfriend and she's just trying to exist with Alex and have a relationship with her. Which then takes us to the final scene of the episode Hmm. with initially kelly on her own and then alex comes in which was such a good whole piece yes it was and it's interesting in terms of kelly as a character and then also her relationship with alex where in the past kelly said about how alex showed up with james in the hospital in season four and i knew right then that you were passionate and fiery and that you would do anything for people you love and i wanted to be one of them Mm. and she sees alex as a person who shows up Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in that situation in season four, you know, Kelly is entering this as somebody who has been in the hospital with James many times before and possibly like dealing with that alone. And then she has somebody, Alex, who is like helping her in the way that matters. Mm. Well, and
1: also Alex advocates for Kelly's mental Mm well-being when they're like experimenting
0: with how to reach James. Later on. Right. Yeah. One of the first things that made Kelly and Alex connect in season four was Alex being there for Kelly and letting her say no when she felt like addressing her trauma in order mm-hmm. to help yeah. James was too hard. She said, No, Brainy, it's too much to ask of her, which is not something that Kelly maybe hears all the time. Yeah. And, you know, she saw that. <laughs> she saw her. And it speaks to a quality that I think is important in terms of like healing for both of them. Mm. That piece where, Kelly said before I will be there for you unconditionally last season and both of them very much need that yeah for different reasons but yeah for different reasons (laughs) yes and so in this episode when Alex isn't there for her in a way that is so then connected to who Kelly is and her identity it is a betrayal Hmm. yeah And so then, you know, in the final scene, Alex making the point to do research and to show up in whatever way Kelly needs her is more important than the problem solving or understanding her perfectly.
1: Yeah. And that's a big point of growth within their relationship with each other, because Mm -hmm. we know Alex has tons of anxiety related to perfectionism. And in that early part of season five, when they were just starting to really get close, she struggled with, Oh God, I don't know everything about you. I want to be perfect in that way and and know Mm -hmm. everything. And just that's unrealistic in any relationship. (laughs) Yes. You you can't unless you are a Martian. Uh, (laughs) 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 It's just not possible. And so to see them have this conversation where they're in
0: a place where they're accepting it and giving each other space for that was really Mm -hmm. nice. Yes. And it retroactively makes that a more obvious nice like interracial relationship subtext Mm -hmm. in that scenario where you know you're not always going to understand the full scope of another person's experience particularly in that kind of relationship and in this scene in this episode it's very much the thing that kelly needs is just being seen and and having alex be with her and she says and love me without having to understand all of me and all of my experiences and for now just hold me." Yeah. Cue sobbing.
1: Anyway, <laughs> right. That was by far one of the most impactful, like, on an emotional level, scenes in the episode. It was really good.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for multiple reasons. Yeah, <laughs> everyone was like, "I'm crying." It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and then that takes us to this other piece with regard to visibility of. Mm. The way that Kelly makes herself seen to those that look like her, who share experiences with her. Yes, there was another big objective for this episode, which was to introduce Kelly
1: as Guardian, finally, after her thinking about it for the past few episodes. Mm -hmm. And the episode did emphasize nicely the importance of having Guardian as a superhero, having another kind of representation among the super friends now that they're mm-hmm. all using their various platforms to advocate for things that matter to them. And so, there was in some reactions to this episode a lot of that, ugh, why are they adding another superhero? <laughs> because Kara is powerful enough on her own. She doesn't need the squad, or like, why are we doing this so close to the end? In response to this storyline, But to paraphrase a very famous quote from the civil rights era, because why not? (laughs) Um,
0: (laughs) And that's that.
1: (laughs) And that's the end. But really, to come back around to the point I brought up that these ideas aren't new. This desire to have representation for all slices of American life is not new. It has just been locked away and kept invisible for nearly a century. Mm -hmm. And... The superhero genre, in particular, woefully underrepresents minorities. And it's also extremely important just from looking at it in terms of equity for actors Mm -hmm. to create a space where actors of color get to have those fun kind of roles and get to be something other than the educational vehicle for everybody else. Mm -hmm. And the other part there is that it matters that it's in media that's not specifically designed to be consumed by a minority audience. Because when it is within a show like Black Lightning, for example, people who are not part of that group just self-select out and say, this isn't for me and I don't want to see it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, adding it into a show that has struggled with representation of Black women in particular is actually incredibly important. Mm -hmm. And then it also Ties into this other idea from the civil rights movement era of the 1960s, 1970s, that Black people deserve to own and control their own lives on their own terms. Mm. And Kelly is stepping into that power here. She's saying, okay, this is one of the ways outside of my day job that (laughs) I can be a symbol of hope for people in a way that fits very nicely with the Supergirl idea of being a symbol of hope for people. And it also connects really nicely to Jefferson Pierce, Black Lightning, who got a name (laughs) drop in this episode. He did. But specifically his thing that we see even in the pilot episode where he teaches his students, where's the future? It's here. Whose life is this mine? How are you going to live it by any means necessary? And the idea that there needs to be action,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: that it doesn't just happen. But that you are also in control. You can do it.
0: Yes. Which is a very also
1: super girl cool idea. So they're good pals choose <laughs> They are. Oh, I'm still so sad that there was no opportunity to cross those over. <laughs> yeah. But speaking of being visible and owning mm-hmm. one's power, Kelly's a, I have some visibility ideas when Brainy <laughs> mentions that he's got suit designs in mind for her. Mm-hmm. Kelly uses the suit. As a way to make it clear that she is a Black woman advocating Mm -hmm. for people.
0: Yeah. Having learned from James' situation.
1: Yeah. So she does the half helmet so you can see at least part of her face. She Mm -hmm. adds the hair to go with the helmet, so the braids. And I would also argue the colors, too, are a part of it, even though they are a nod to the original comic suit. But they also are similar in terms of having like the black and the gold to all of the
0: superhero suits for Black Lightning, Lightning and Thunder. Mm -hmm. Which Ozzy has said the gold is a reference to both her Eritrean and Ethiopian culture, which the beads in Guardian's hair were also a reference to. In terms of Kelly's hair and representation and visibility, we had that awesome scene at the end of the episode where Mm. Kelly wraps up her hair. And Ozzy said about that, there were conversations on set where people would ask me if I wrap my hair like that every night, and I do, but they'd never been exposed to that. And I'm sure there will be conversations in our audience, too. That is representation to me, understanding people in new ways.
1: Mm. Yeah. And speaking of that, that was one of the things specifically that one of our listeners mentioned. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So, with that in mind, we wanted to talk with a couple listeners and what they took away and the ways that maybe they felt seen or what spoke to them within this episode.
1: So, first, we're going to talk with Layla, who is from Australia. Yes. Hello, Layla. Hi, thank you for having me. (laughs) Yeah, so as we said in the post that we made online, we were really interested in hearing from other listeners and people who watch the show of if there were things that really stood out for you, you know, you connected to or things that you were like, huh, that made me think differently about like the interaction between characters or like a situation that you've encountered in real life that's been similar and you're like, hmm. (laughs) Neat.
2: <laughs> okay, so for me, watching the episode and like I'm an emotional person, but I'm generally not someone who cries at media. Funnily mm. enough, I will maybe at most like tear up. Like triggers mm. will always make me tear up just a little bit. Just a little bit. It's gotta be like very on the nose of like personal stuff. Mm. But um no, watching this episode, I got to the point where Kelly's in front of the mirror doing up her hair mm. and just started bawling my eyes out. And I'm like, this is weird, this <laughs> is strange. <laughs> I was chatting to a friend about it who hadn't watched it yet. And I'm like, I'm bowling. And they were watching through the episode. They're like, is it this point? I'm like, nope, nope, nope. (laughs) (laughs) You're not there
0: yet. Because it comes at the very end, yes.
2: Yeah. And to be honest, if I hadn't started crying at that point, I probably would have cried at Alex and Kelly's scene Mm -hmm. later. But I was already crying, so it was fine. Um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) You prepared, yeah.
2: Yeah, apparently. But I guess for me, so I'm Mm mixed-raced. So I have... Very light skin tone but very African hair, which is a mm. fun mix because it confuses people. <laughs> <laughs> so like I used to have a hair up when I was younger, when I used to have braids, and I relaxed my hair, which is kind of what Kelly and Ozzy have mm. for about five years, mm. mainly during my teenage years. Yeah. And probably started when I was about ten that I braided my hair and used to have to like start learning to protect my hair. And I knew nobody else who did it. Mm-hmm. And I used to go to like sleepovers and I would not take it and would, you know, ruin my hair or just, like, wake up with the most ridiculous-looking hair. Like, Uh it just... One thing people don't realize about such a relaxed hair, even though it's straightened, it doesn't act like quote unquote straight hair. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it will just kind of do whatever, like (laughs) however you lie on it is how it's going to stay. It just is like, Mm -hmm. oh, you want me to be like this? I'll stay like this. So things like having those like silk wraps or Mm -hmm. silk pillowcase and those sort of things are really important, but
1: you don't generally see it in media. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's kind of funny because I said something to Cycles about that scene when the teaser for it came out and it was kind of along the same lines and I don't even have like super curly hair but I didn't learn how to take care of it until I was an adult because my mom did not have textured hair of any kind and she treated my hair like her hair and she would just rip Mm -hmm. through it with a brush and I got got bullied for the way my hair looked as a kid Mm. so it was kind of interesting just that struck such a nerve for people because that is still something that isn't portrayed on TV or in film a lot except in maybe very culture-specific media.
0: Mm -hmm. It was very intentional in that way. This sort of sacred mundane moment that does not often appear within media.
1: Yeah. I liked that it was part of a whole, like, I'm going to do my cozy comfort routine. Yes. Yes. Mm. I did notice that. And I did have some thoughts. It was
2: interesting that you brought up with your, it's going to come through if it hasn't already. I'm Australian. So I'm going to say mom. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm saying my mom has probably the straightest hair on the planet. So <laughs> she, she tried her best with my hair, but yes, I, mm. you know, you generally for people with this hair, you spend a lot of time with your, like your mom or your mother in, the like bathroom doing your hair because especially it's like a young mm. child, you just cannot mm. do it yourself. Especially for me with mine. Mine was very, very long and it got to a point where it was just too much. <laughs> but I feel like it almost becomes a comfort thing because it's something that I guess you grow up doing it with a parent and that routine sort of thing, I don't know, I find sometimes it's a comfort to do my hair. And it's that
0: sort of mm. point
2: where I'm looking after myself. Like because I feel like if you mm. aren't looking after yourself, that's one of the easiest things to go. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that was such an important part for Kelly as a character, where at the end of this day where she had to, like, do all this emotional labor and and do really difficult things in a sustained way where she felt alone. And then we come to a place where she gets to just, like, put on her comfy clothing, put her hair up and, like, relax.
1: Well, <laughs> yeah. let her guard down, at least. Let her guard down. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah,
2: I guess it's also interesting in terms of, and like obviously this is a very short scene, but I find for me a lot of the time when I'm doing my hair is when I'm reckoning with my identity a lot mm. because you're looking at yourself in the mirror for the same part of time because you just like have to see what you're doing and make sure you don't, you know, poke yourself. So <laughs> even though she has like, you know, straightened hair and stuff, it's still that little thing. And I guess I'm probably living with Alex as well who would have, I guess, very different yeah hair practices it's one of those things I think especially like I've grown up just around people with straight hair so it's something that you you notice when Mm -hmm. it's different to the people around Mm -hmm. you and I think the fact that she was like obviously they've gone to the point of the relationship where obviously Alex would know and very comfortable with it because yeah having your hair up like that even though it's protecting your hair it's not the most glamorous look it's not what you want to you know go around (laughs) You know, wearing outside of the house, sort of thing. So it's that mm-hmm. very much letting a guard down and that kind of, I'm doing this thing to look after myself. It's not for, you know, to look mm-hmm. pretty or to do anything like that. Right. Yeah.
1: So obviously, Kelly is in this episode having really important conversations and just expressing herself and setting boundaries, which is the thing we know her character struggled with throughout her run so far in the series. But in terms of the conversations that she and her her friends and loved ones are having, where you live, are people in a place of having those discussions? Is it still like a, this isn't a problem? Because I know y'all have your own political trumps yeah. of the world. Uh-
2: <laughs> it's definitely different. Like we don't have the same sort of established Black community because it's more so in terms of Indigenous people mm-hmm. here. So they'll use Black, B-L-A-K, to mm-hmm. describe themselves. And that's kind of a community, but it's also, it's a lot smaller point of the population and and that's kind of what I've been more exposed to where I live yeah there's gross inequalities and a lot of people are like it's not a problem or alternatively which is horrible they're like they're getting too many handouts or they're getting Mm -hmm. too much you know resources and why are we giving all this stuff and we have a very bad history with the stolen generations so Mm -hmm. a very big history of actually social workers removing children generally lighter skinned children from indigenous households Mm -hmm. that went up until the 70s but there's still roll-on effects with
1: yeah yeah
2: foster care rates and things like that so it's getting better. I, I'm quite young, so uh, like, <laughs> <laughs> from my perspective, like, I learnt about a lot of things that like my parents didn't learn about in school mm-hmm. and that sort of changing things. But yeah, Australia is a very weird case where we think we're like the most multicultural thing ever <laughs> and we're not. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. In terms of the conversations that were brought up in this episode, I guess there's that side effect of, yeah, we just kind of take American media and go, let's watch this. <laughs> so... Not to my knowledge, I have. there's not a lot of those conversations about race. We have like indigenous populations, but then I mm-hmm. guess lots of like immigrants and things like that. But at least where I live, it's very spread out. Mm-hmm. In some cities, there's kind of like localized communities, but
1: not really in the same way. So it mm-hmm. almost sounds kind of like the issue that came up in the episode of, well, people aren't seeing it.
2: Yeah, definitely. There's definitely a lot of people assume that things are like oh we're multicultural and we're not racist and so things are automatically easy for everyone and there's not that difficulty mm. in a lot of aspects
0: that sort of pull yourself up by your bootstraps energy <laughs> that you mentioned as well
2: oh yeah yeah Australian dream is like because I guess you've got the American dream it's a little bit different and it's more so we have this sense of the fair go mm. and that like everyone has like it's similar in the whole thing like, everyone has equal chance to do it and but right. it's just No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To your point with this episode, it is really lovely to see those conversations, and it's been almost bizarre because I've seen very polarized responses to it. Mm. In that, like people like this is the best take on this ever written, and then like people saying, <laughs> "Oh, it was too agenda-driven, blah blah blah." And I was thinking, Ozzy could have gone so much further. I think it was almost <laughs> middle ground, to be honest. With
1: <laughs> I, yeah, that's kind of where I landed with it too. It, it's in a middle kind of place. Mm-hmm. I found it quite middle ground in terms of how
2: it tackled it and how it looked at like Kelly's own feelings about it because it could have gone yeah a lot
0: further Mm -hmm. so did you have any final thoughts about this episode Layla
2: overall I found it to be a good episode lots of feelings lots of you know you know my emotions <laughs>
0: <laughs> so emotional as Jean might sing
2: yeah. yes yes. <laughs> yes not enough singing that is my one critique
1: um sweet <laughs> ozzy no very very good and um, thanks for having me on <laughs> yeah yes. thank you for coming and, and chatting yeah Hi,
3: and welcome to Supergirl's Attic. Hi, I'm Avery. Thank you so much for having me. This is a really cool thing you guys are doing this week. So, where are you coming from? I'm coming from Maine in the United States.
1: Nice. So, what was it for you that made you want to kind of come talk?
3: Yeah, well, I guess that there were two things that really stood out to me in this episode. Well, there are many, many things, but two kind of very specific things in the context of the much broader issues and kind of elements they were casting a light on. And one of them was actually a really specific line from Brainy. It was talking to Kelly saying, you know what you have here in this time that we never had talking about the 31st century. He says you Mm -hmm. as the guardian, there's still time to make a big difference. And that line kind of, it doesn't seem like a huge thing, but that just really got under my skin and made me start thinking Mm -hmm. about what is it about that line specifically and the way that he Mm -hmm. framed it that stood out so much. And yeah, Thinking about it further, it really brought back some of the early day season one vibes for me, the really kind of mm-hmm. hammering in on the, you know, so much of these later seasons and season six in particular, we've got our whole cast and, you know, all the characters that we love so much as superheroes. And I have missed some of this kind of emphasis mm-hmm. on the roles that individuals as human beings can play and what that means for somebody who isn't necessarily superpowered to step up and to make a huge, huge difference that really gave me sort of like human for a day vibes in a way that mm-hmm. we haven't had for a while, I don't think. And that just in the context of sort of what this episode was talking about, that really, really stuck with me.
0: Nice. Yeah. Sort of the the heart of of heroism and yeah. one of the reasons we watch superhero shows. Yeah.
3: And then the other thing, just, you know, upon and I've rewatched this episode a couple of times already, that just I thought they did a very good job of without kind of beating it over the head was Kelly mentioned a couple of times talking about the people in the Heights and, you know, specifically Black people, how they are lacking hope and help and hope Mm -hmm. and help obviously being kind of too Parts of Kara's three part motto. Um, <laughs> yes. The fact that those things were, I mean, she had a line where is outrage that people are going to die without help, without hope? That just felt so pointed in a really understated but beautiful and important way. I thought that that was very, very well
0: done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Turning the motto back at her. Yeah. And the, the for all part. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know,
3: nobody's lacking compassion on the team. But I thought they did a really great job of showing with Kara and Alex in particular that coming from the right place and coming from a place of compassion is not the same thing as actually making an impact and seeing all the things that are going on. I thought that that was just played very well. Mm-hmm. Nice. I guess the last thing that I had a, a few notes here, everything that stood out to me was, you know, for obvious reasons, centered around Kelly. But mm-hmm. when she was talking to Kara the first time after sort of going off on the team, the way that she said, I have pushed down so much trauma. I've smiled and stayed friendly and stayed positive, even when it didn't feel right. You know, I think that this show has done a really, really good job at looking at the roles that people in specific demographics, so we have Kara as a woman in season one, we've got Nia as Dreamer as a trans woman in season four and coming out Mm -hmm. publicly as a trans woman. And now we've got Kelly as Guardian in season six. I think that they've done a really good job at kind of exploring the different ways that... They have had to perform in their different roles. And we've got Kara and her, you know, somebody who has had to push down a lot of trauma and has done so with a smile (laughs) and has really come at it from a place of positivity. And Kelly talks in this episode about, you know, she is somebody who always has control over her feelings Mm. and always has control over things and just feeling so out of control at this moment. I thought that it was really interesting to see that play out and to see Kara as, you know, this person who really does have, you know, some understanding of what it means to push down trauma, what it means to be an important representation for, in her case, you know, the world had Superman before, and now she's Supergirl, that has Mm -hmm. some element of understanding or at least kind of ways to begin to empathize, even if it's, you know, very clear that she won't ever fully understand what Kelly's experiencing. I just, I really liked how it was so deftly handled in this episode, how what Kelly was experiencing was relatable to Kara's experience and had roots for her. But also that's part of what made it so shocking, I think for Kara that she Mm -hmm. had missed it because these are things that she should not have missed and did.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah, and then also, you know, it's just there's a unique sort of flavor to it for Kelly as a black woman. That aspect of pushing down her emotions and 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 dealing with trauma on her own, you know. Yeah, Mm.
3: and I think it's probably important for me to add, like, I'm a white woman, so I think that there was an element of Mm -hmm. watching this episode for me where we were so much in Kelly's perspective and her point of view that by the time she kind Mm -hmm. of finally did snap at the team, there was a sense of relief, like, okay, like this is like, (laughs) thank goodness she's finally saying it and they're Mm -hmm. missing it. But as a white woman, like, it was absolutely I was all. Also totally coming from Kara and Alice's point of view, because I have been in their shoes there. I just thought that Ozzy and Jay Holtham did a really, really incredible job with how they structured the episode and the different weights they put on the different conversational beats and emotional beats throughout the episode.
1: Hmm. This episode did a really neat job of showcasing how like, Kara and Kelly are very similar while also being very different. Yeah. (laughs) And that there is a kinship there in kind of some of those ways that they come at problems and the perspective that they take when they're trying to solve problems. But then it was nice to see where they're at cross purposes because they don't have the same experiences Mm -hmm. and the lens through which they're looking at how do I solve this problem? You know, for Kara, who lost a world (laughs) and and also has these Mm -hmm. superpowers, you know, she thinks on the big level, Mm -hmm. big picture, in a way that sometimes makes her miss other things, which is the whole point Kelly was making.
3: I think that that goes back a little bit to what I was saying about the sort of season one vibe of this, the smaller scale Mm -hmm. element that I, you know, I've really Mm -hmm. enjoyed these later seasons, but there is a lot that I miss about those earlier days when the majority of the main cast either didn't have superpowers or like super tech, depending on, you know, who we have now versus... Now it's like, I love the whole team, but they're not quite as relatable in the way that they were earlier mm-hmm. on. And that's something that, you know, everyone from, you know, Win, you know, isn't even on the show anymore. If you're looking back <laughs> at, you know, Jean in season one was suppressing his powers. We really did just have Kara front and center. And so much of the emphasis there was on, Her saving a little girl from being bullied or pulling a snake out of a tree (laughs) in a way was just very sweet. And we haven't seen quite as much of. Mm -hmm. And I think that the show has been at some of its strongest moments these last couple of seasons in episodes like this or in Reality Bites, where we really do Mm -hmm. see that really personal connection. And seeing Kelly and and Nia, Mm -hmm. you know, going back further, kind of deciding, like, this is a step that I need to take, not because I have a power necessarily, but because I have a really important role to play. For a specific community that I'm a part of and that Mm. that has different needs than necessarily like planet Earth, right? Yeah, that's something (laughs) that I was just very, very happy to kind of have that weight in this episode in a way that we haven't seen quite as much of lately.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Avery, for sharing your thoughts about this episode and the ways that it really impacted you and the ways that it has affected, you know, your view of the show.
3: Yeah. No, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. And I'm really <laughs> eager to hear. And you know, I've seen a little bit on social media about reactions to this episode. But to be mm-hmm. frank, I have curated my Supergirl social media experience pretty dramatically <laughs> over the years. And, right. um <laughs> <laughs>
1: Haven't we all? Yeah. So I'm
3: really, really <laughs> curious to kind of hear a little bit more broadly and also maybe from different perspectives what some other people got out of this episode.
1: Mm-hmm. And here's some thoughts from our listener, Superlad, who left us a voice message for this episode.
4: Hey, Superdose addicts. First off, I just want to say thank you for all the content that you've given us over the past couple of years. I've always felt that your unique perspective on things is something I just can't get anywhere else in the fandom. So again, thank you for all the time and effort you put into a show that I love very much. Today, I'm just calling to talk about my feelings about last week's episode, Blind Spots. I think Ozzy has did an amazing job writing it. You can really see her voice shine through, but was in such an organic way that gave Kelly a lot of new dimension? I also love, you know, we all love the gentle therapist friend role that Kelly fulfills, but it's nice to see that she doesn't have to be gentle all the time, you know? This episode really reminded me of Red Face from Season 1. You know, both Kelly and Kara learn to harness this hidden anger within them and recognize how it relates to their own personal trauma as an alien refugee or as a Black woman. And I really appreciate that the writing doesn't vilify their anger, especially with them being women and in Kelly's case being also a Black woman. In fact, it really supports this idea that Using your anger in a healthy way will make you better and can make things better for other people. I also really like the way allyship was portrayed in this episode, especially in the scene involving Kara and Alex. I just really love the scene where Kelly said that guilt is an inactive emotion because it's a great summary of what makes a good ally. You know, last year when George Floyd was murdered, that was the first time I ever protested in the streets. And for a while, I put a lot of time and money towards Black Lives Matter and with other communities who needed help. Unfortunately, I can't say that I put in the same work for marginalized people today as I had done back then. So the best thing about this episode for me was that it really made me recognize my own blind spots and that when I have them, I should always put in the work to just turn my head a little, see those I didn't see before, and do my best to help them as much as I can.
1: Once again, thank you to Layla, Avery, and Superlad for sharing what spoke to you in this episode. We really
0: appreciate it. Yes. And we have, as usual, some other things not related to our main topic that we want to discuss for this episode, as well as questions at the end. Yes.
1: So in addition to the direct feedback we got from some of our listeners, there's also been a lot of, as you might imagine, conversation taking place in various fan spaces, whether that's Reddit, the comment section of reviews. Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And the reaction has been quite varied. <laughs> like, I also opened up my space for conversation this week, and it's all over the map. So. <laughs> but one thing I did want to talk about specifically, because this is something I chose to start researching because of the race intersection of how fans respond to different characters and different interpersonal relationships between characters,
2: mm-hmm.
1: was the issue of performative allyship within fandoms. And this is not unique to Supergirl. (laughs) No. As evidenced by the fact that the closing section of the remix edition of the book Stamped, which is about the history of race in America, and it's written for high school students, the author, Jason Reynolds, makes a specific point to call out the ways that digital behavior can feel like activism Mm -hmm. without being genuine. And he writes... We have to be more than audience members sitting comfortably in the stands of morality shouting wrong. That's too easy. We must be players in our classrooms and communities trying to do right.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
1: in other words, we need to be active, which again calls back to something we've talked about related to this show, which is the idea of hope as action. Yeah. And
0: something that Kelly referenced in this very episode.
1: Mm-hmm. And on that note, there has been a lot of slacktivism that has been occurring in response to this episode. So one of the things that was a little bit a shame was that some of the fans who watch this show, who really needed to receive this message mm. about, are you seeing us, really didn't. They were missed because the characters they relate to were not part of the conversation They were not part of the conversation for a valid reason. Um, (laughs) Yes. But this led to a lot of self-congratulatory performance within certain subsets of fans. There was a lot of bragging about, you know, hashtags trending that lasted a few hours, maybe. And some empty praise. Kind of like, you know, Alex is like, oh, you're amazing. It had that quality. (laughs) Right. That is a good point. (laughs) While simultaneously denigrating all of the other Black members of the production team of this episode and blaming mm-hmm. them for all of the alleged sins right. of the episode. And then within
0: 12 hours, the conversation moved straight back to Lena. Mm-hmm. So there's a genuine attempt to, you know, do the right thing, basically. Yeah. And then not being self-reflective and wondering, like, is this the best way to go about it? And is this the most impactful way? Does this extend to the other ways that I interact with the material as a fan yeah and then we have probably one of the biggest pieces in terms of being a fan that you've clocked over the years yes which is the content creation piece
2: Mm -hmm.
1: every fan community for any piece of media has content creation that's how we find the community that's how you start building it and it usually centers around ideas, you know, things you wish happened, things that would be funny if they happened, mm-hmm. whatever it may be. There is, no matter what the fan space is, typically a lack of content for Black characters by comparison to their white and other non-Black counterparts. But there's kind of this belief on the part of mostly white fans, but other non-Black fans as well kind of hop on this bandwagon Mm -hmm. of, I'm not perpetuating a system of invisibility. I'm just expressing a personal preference. Mm -hmm. And because they are not seeing data in aggregate, they miss it. You know, mm-hmm. but for people who are on the receiving end of this, pushing to the side and ignoring, they know it's a pattern. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and without you know visuals, people don't like to believe it. Yeah, or proof as <laughs> yeah proof. Diggle says in this episode <laughs> that resonated so hard for me. Um, <laughs> And mm-hmm. when I was actively doing the research for this, it was a linear relationship with like exponential mm-hmm. <laughs> effects based on how light or dark the color of a love interest character was. Mm-hmm. And so we were curious after this episode to see kind of what the reception would be if people were expressing their feelings about it in content creation. And the answer was no, which is disappointing, but not surprising. Mm-hmm. And think we went to the archive of our own database, which is in a lot of hot water right now, actually, for lack of anti-racism hmm. advocacy and pretty much 99 of all of the content for a supergirl the tv show that had been published since the date this episode aired was not about kelly at all mm-hmm. she wasn't even included in it it was mostly about characters who were in the episode for less than five minutes yeah and the same was true with the artistic creation like there were clips of Kara in the scene where she comes to talk to kelly but kelly was cropped out yeah <laughs> there's been nothing of the scene of Jean talking to Alex. There has been absolutely nothing with Kelly talking to Diggle at all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it goes back to that sense of no one
0: seeing me. I'm invisible. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And I mean, this episode, the purpose of it, I think, is conversation. And mm, yeah, Ozzy has talked about that a lot. And, you know, some of the more uncomfortable parts of it <laughs> and, you know, offers an opportunity for if we are willing, us to further reflect on how we are being allies, as Alex says, and the ways that we are engaging with the Black characters and engaging as fans generally. I know you and I have had several conversations <laughs> about this episode. Yes. <laughs> relevant to that. And with that in mind, we are starting a new fundraiser. Yeah. So this is something
1: that we've been keeping an eye on for a little while, especially because it is relevant to Kelly as a character who is a therapist. Mm-hmm. This real-life therapist, her name is Dr. Ebony Butler, she created this product called My Therapy Cards. They are specifically designed for people of color. And... They first came out late last summer, I think. Mm -hmm. And since then, she's actually gotten enough response that she's been able to expand them to make different ones specifically for women, for men and for teens. And then also therapy journals, which we saw Kelly doing some of that in this episode. (laughs) So that was kind of fun. And the really awesome thing about these therapy card packs is that you have the ability to anonymously donate them to people who can't afford them. Mm -hmm. And speaking of, you know, the ways that the black community is underserved by the medical profession, there's also a lot of barriers to access for mental health, partially due to, you know, expense and and that kind of thing, but also partially due to not feeling seen and not feeling heard. Yeah. And so we looked at a few different things. This one felt like the best option for helping a broader number of people. Mm -hmm. And so we have set up a donation page on CauseVox, and you can contribute to that fund. And then whatever total we get, we will put all of that money toward purchasing sets of cards to donate to members of the black community who are in need of the therapy card packs. Yeah. And then to kind of finish our closing thoughts, we have a few more things we wanted to mention about the episode content. And there were references to the COVID pandemic and how it's affected the black community in this episode. Mm -hmm. And I also wanted to point out, because I've been feeling this for a couple of episodes now, Mm -hmm. you're starting to feel the strain of the COVID restrictions on production a little bit at this point, especially with the crowd and group scenes, because the distance sometimes feels a little bit artificial. Mm -hmm. Plus, also, we're just seeing a lot of CGI for things that might otherwise have been more a combination of practical effects and more Mm close-up fighting and stunt work or just conversations. And while that didn't necessarily harm the flow of the episode, it's a little bit of shame because there could have been ways throughout this season to make some things a little more impactful.
0: Yeah. And in terms of other character stuff and the writing, some of the character voices felt a little off in this episode. In particular, Kara, her behavior felt a little bit less like a natural outgrowth of the blind spots that we know that she has and has had throughout the years and a bit more like she had to say what she had to to best deliver the message of this episode, mm-hmm. which was a very good message. Yeah. Like her focusing on the big picture and losing sight of the people in front of her kind of tracked well. Yeah. <laughs> well enough and and she's done stuff like that before not to this degree, but she has. But the more interpersonal stuff with the level of disconnect that she has with Kelly is sort of another person where she made everything about herself, where it was like, I feel so guilty, focusing on her own feelings. I really do care on its own. Each of those things I could see all together, it painted a picture of like where she was not trying to comfort Kelly at all in a way that she might have otherwise. And it felt more like a useful, like how to handle white liberal women guidebook, where that is definitely a way that people react in those conversations, than something natural for Kara, necessarily, where there's a bit of a story driving character versus the other way around, where the characters are pushing the story ahead.
1: Mm. Yeah. I'm kind of on that note, like this was a really strong episode for a first time writer of TV. Mm -hmm. We've seen similar issues in the series before with writers who are new to either TV writing or to the series. And there were actually a couple in particular in season four that had similar issues in some ways, like Blood Memory, which was episode 411, struggled from it had too much to accomplish in one episode, Mm -hmm. which it had to not only introduce Nia's entire hero's arc, it had to introduce us to her family, kill off her mom, set up the conflict with her sister, Mm -hmm. and then also reset the dynamic between Kara and Alex and Jean. Yes, (laughs) that was a lot. And have a random plot. So it like (laughs) there was a similar like overcrowding of a need to achieve specific things in this episode Mm -hmm. that is just hard to balance. (laughs) It is. And then the Will the Real Miss Tess Please Stand Up, also from season four, was a first episode for a writer. Mm -hmm. And that one, there were some similarities there in terms of it having maybe more words than there needed to be for characters in a scene and not having Mm -hmm. a sense of how much do I need to write out explicitly and how much can I rely on my actors Mm -hmm. to figure out how to use the silence and the beats of the between space. Yeah. And there were also, I distinctly remember in that episode, there were a couple of scenes where the eagerness to get the message across kind of overrode the attention to making sure the character's voice was consistent with the established things about the character.
0: Right. Which these are very new writer classic traits, you know, and this was overall a very poignant episode for a first time television writer.
1: Yes. Speaking of, on a lighter note, in a sarcastic way. (laughs) (laughs) One of my favorite things, speaking of things this episode did nicely, was Councilwoman Rankin and her hilariously rapid mastery of her newfound magic powers, which Mm. I loved as a symbol for white privilege. (laughs) Like, specifically, she doesn't even question that all of a sudden she has this power. She just... (laughs) She's like, well, of course. (laughs) Yeah. She's like, okay, cool. I'm going to do this. And like doesn't seem concerned at all. Um, And then you also have, you know, the symbolism of it actively draining the life force away from the black community that she's been harming this whole time. Mm -hmm. So like number one, that was really strong. And then number two, this arc with Rankin actually was subtextually the one in the episode that is the most directly tied to Lena, which was intriguing. Hmm. And I say that because we saw matching scenes of them quickly grasping how to use magic in a way that seemed like it could cause harm. And also the fact that when Rankin left the hospital full of all the people she didn't want to be around, <laughs> I don't know how many people caught this because I noticed it on the rewatch, but uh, she was taken to a hospital that had Luther signs plastered all <laughs> over the outside. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a nice touch. Kudos for the thought that went into the post-production and the set pieces. Mm-hmm. And then we
0: have a couple of questions that we've gotten. This first one is from an anonymous Tumblr user. Hi, Cycles and Vivi. I thought it was funny how in last week's podcast episode, you made comparisons to Wonder Woman 1984. And then immediately in blind spots, corrupt politician Rankin was given wish powers. (laughs) Also, the trailers for this week's episode shows there will be a dragon. Are you sure you don't have prophetic superpowers? Maybe Lena will go (laughs) full Medea with a flying chariot. After all,
1: (sighs) dearest anonymous listener. You've written this question specifically to set a curse upon me. Uh, because I actually, I struggled with the first time I watched this episode because I was so thrown out of it by how much it used a similar thing with the wish powers. And I hated that plot line in Wonder Woman 84. She didn't like it, guys. I, I really didn't. There was a lot of bad racial messaging tied up in it. <laughs> yeah. But I was, I was so distracted by my other association with this that element of the story that I like couldn't focus on this episode for half of it. And yeah. then when I watched it again, I was like, oh, yeah, this is much more enjoyable than it felt.
0: <laughs> yeah. When we got this ask, dear anonymous Tumblr user, I was cackling. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thanks for that. Um,
1: also, the dragon thing. Yeah. See? See? People were like, this came out of nowhere. They knew. They've been planning this all along. Mm-hmm. And then Layla
0: of Paper, who was our guest earlier, sent us a question referring to episode eleven. Last week in Still I Rise, you compared Nixley to Ursula, so this week she stole Carr's voice. My question is, which Disney villain will Nixley evoke next?
1: Oh well, that's actually kind of funny because I did mention Jack Sparrow, which is a Disney property <laughs> last week. <laughs> that Technically is good. he's not a villain though, he's an antihero. So maybe so... she'll
0: she'll turn around. <laughs> No,
1: (laughs) probably not. Although, (laughs) hope. We do have to... Hope. Maybe the unconditional positive regard will sink in eventually. (laughs) Uh,
0: (laughs) Who else could Nixley be? What... Mm something with maleficent which, and the dragon
1: <gasps> but which version of maleficent though like the live action or the, the original? original for the extra
0: fabulousness I love it that feels right <laughs> All right guys everyone be on the lookout for <laughs> <laughs> maleficent references with Nixley
1: Well that's true cuz maleficent also does wear a lot of black with like the flowy mm. coats and she's got the head like the cool headpieces on occasion yeah. so
0: And she has that like you didn't invite me to this party so I'm going to <laughs> That's true destroy yeah, you energy she just shows up and
1: And she's like, oh, I'm here to have a good time (laughs) and ruin your life. And ruin your life. And it's your fault. (laughs) You heard it here first. Maleficent is the answer. All right. So for just general announcements, next week's episode of Supergirl is called The Gauntlet. Mm -hmm. It will kick off the the quest for the totems that are part of the big kind of action plot stuff for the end of the season. And
0: we're not sure what exactly is going to happen other than it's going to be a a wild time. Mm -hmm. So we'll see you then. And if you guys want to donate to raise money for the therapy cards we talked about, you can go to supergirlsaddict.com or Twitter and we'll have a post there. And if you have any questions for next week's episode, please send them. Yes. And thanks for listening.